Nice Games Club is on break for the next few weeks. How come? So your nice hosts can put together a relaunch of the show, including a brand new website that will make it easier for listeners to browse and discover all the content from the entire history of the program. In the meantime, your nice hosts have picked out a few favorite episodes from the last year or so for listeners to revisit or maybe hear for the first time. This is episode 118. It's Black History Month, y'all. Audio basics, representation in games. This episode was originally released on February 26, 2019. Why'd you pick this one, Stephen? I picked this episode because it was really informative and fun episode to record with a topic we're all passionate about. Be nice and have a listen. 118. That's the, the that was just the number or? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We got to get these choppier. Come on, come on. 118. This 118. Is the episode. Yeah. yeah. Woo. You did it. Our 118th episode. Is there any special to that number, or you just? I don't. I don't know. You just had a little stroke there. <laughs> 118. Yeah. It's uh, cool. I know sure. every number has some meaning in it's some true. video game. It's like, true. January 18th is 118. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this. Welcome to numerology with. <laughs> He'll tell your fortune based on. <laughs> We're going to hit 120 pretty soon. That's a, a round number and a nice it marker. Is. Yes. On our way to 200. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of numbers and dates, there's a date that is Ooh. important to you. Yes. Um, so Treasure Stack will be coming out um, March 1st. What? Yes. Whoa. Yay. Yes. That might be soon. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> um, it'll be out on Xbox, Switch, and PC. Uh, I'm, this is the game I've been working on. I get paid to work on, so that's what that is. <laughs> Holy bolts! I did the calendar math. That's in a couple of days, listeners. Oh, so it'll be this Friday. Hey, yes, yeah, that is a Friday. Yes, so look forward to that. You know, uh, let me know if you played it and liked it, and if there's bugs, tell me that. <laughs> so you, I can fix we them. want a report from every single listener <laughs> that you played it. Yes. And you purchased a copy. Right. Don't play your buddies. Purchase your own copy. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> I need all of those details. Or we will revoke your clubhouse membership. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, we should make patches and like stuff that are like nice games club member. <laughs> <laughs> should do that though. I wanted to do that for a while. That mm-hmm. just makes because then you yeah, like honorary clubhouse member. Yeah. yeah. That'd be really cute. Well, if uh listeners, if there's anything that like that that you'd because we've yeah, we've talked about that in the past, like some merch of some kind. Yeah. Is there anything you want from us? Let us know. We'll do it. Mm-hmm. Yes. We're, we're desperate to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's distraction. Yeah. Yes. Treasure stack. Treasure stack's coming out mm-hmm. in two days, apparently. So or three days. Uh, Stephen, can you give us like the l- condensed history of you with Treasure Stack? Uh, l- yeah. not, listeners have not, m- maybe not all of them have known, heard the whole story. Yes. Okay. Uh, so I got hired at this place uh, nine, 10, 10 months, 11 months. Oh, at this point, it's March. So about 11 months ago. Um, and, uh, uh, it was kind of a surprise. I got there and I was like, oh, I'm going to be working on web browser games. This is going to be, I mean, it'll be great. I get to experiment with all these small games. It'll be nice. And then my boss came in. He's like, surprise, you're working on treasure stack. It's not a web browser game, y'all. Uh, it's a big console game. And you so, had played the game I here at played, Glitch at a yes. playtest event, right? Yes, exactly. Um, and so like, I knew what it was and I, I, but I didn't know that I was going to be the one working on it. And I thought other people were working on it or something like that. And the um, one working on it is right. Yes. <laughs> right. I was, the, I was the sole developer on it for a long time. Um, and so what I did was I rebuilt um, 
I rebuilt basically a lot of it. Like I uh, all of almost all of the code um, was trashed and put and I put in new code and I, I think it works a lot more efficiently now. Um, and then um, we also, you know, we're working on porting it to all of these different consoles and such. Um, and uh, the game, it's not a huge game, but like uh, it's complicated enough where like we wanted to hire out some outside help to help us. So we got Hiring Moon Software um, to help us out. Andy and Scott. Friends of the show. Friends of the show. Yeah. Um, and um, they uh, were wonderful in helping us port it and helping us get our um, network functionality because now you can also play. You can play uh, cross-platform. You can play Xbox, Switch, PC against all of them. That is, I think it's really valuable for a, a smaller release just yeah. to get that audience. You've got, all, you've got three pools now for the three platforms, and it just works seamlessly between them, mm-hmm. which is, uh, I think a lot of people, gamers are coming to sort of expect that, but it's a lot of work. Yeah, it is not easy. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of stuff. Um, um, but, you know, I, I've, like, it's been very valuable. Treasure Tech is a, it's a very fun game. Um, definitely check it out. Uh, we will. We have like trailers and such. We have a website. Yeah, I will link to those. It's got a great style, and the mechanics are really fun because mm-hmm. it's like it's like a bunch of uh, dropping puzzle block games you've played, but it's re- it is unique, and you yeah. you figure that out very quickly as you yeah. play. But it still maintains that approachability of a genre you're familiar with. Yeah. So it's it really works. It's the best of both of those worlds. You got a really good tutorial. It took me forever to build, so <laughs> you can take advantage of that too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. Um, please, please play it. Please let me know how you what you think of it mm-hmm. i'm really interested i'd like to hear it hear your thoughts a report from every one of you <laughs> <laughs> treasure stack is out march 1st xbox switch and pc and now it's time for the audio spectacular what though <laughs> what are you doing here i thought it'd be a good example of audio tricks yeah you're not wrong <laughs> Uh, this is my topic, uh, audio basics. So we came back from PodCon uh, a couple weeks ago. We talked about that in a previous Woo-woo. episode. Yeah. And uh, there was a lot of talk about audio stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, amongst the three of us, I'm the one with the audio background. And you guys know a lot about it now, mm-hmm. um, uh, partly because you had to, but also because I probably don't shut up about it sometimes. <laughs> but, um, but So I thought I'd go over some of the basic stuff for audio. This, is gonna, this would be useful if you want to start your own podcast. But of course, if you're a game developer and you're just throwing a bunch of MP3s into your build mm-hmm. like th- this can give you some context of like why doesn't this isn't sounding right or you just a little bit of the you know it's not gonna be a whole you know not even a full 101 but uh, just some of the basic things you'll need to know yeah. to help you uh, maybe avoid some of the early pitfalls as you start dealing with this kind of work because i know as designers you guys both know we've talked about on the show before like the sound is really important to your your game not yeah. just the experience the feel but in, in fact the proper design of it yeah and so um a lot of times you don't think about that until like us later um, but uh, the earlier you think about it, uh, the better off you'll be in all sorts of elements of your yes, project. Yes. So, uh, talking about just a couple of basic things you probably are familiar with, like formats, uh, Wave, AIFF, if you're on Mac, those are uh, uncompressed audio. Okay. They are just describing the waveform. We record uh, Nice Games Club as uncompressed wave files. The file you get when you uh, listen on your phone or your PC or wherever, um, that is an MP3. That's a heavily compressed file, in fact. That is not true for all types of workflows. Mm. If you're familiar with a lot of things, the more raw, uncompressed file, especially if you're a photographer and you with like raw, raw image data, yeah. it can really, really pile up. Oh. Audio, it's not a solved problem, but it's just less. There's less of it. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is sort of simple stuff, but sometimes it's like, oh, okay, right? And not everybody knows this sort of thing. I didn't know it. Yeah. So, <laughs> there's other audio. Like, really, there's just two audio formats as far as most people are concerned. Yeah. There's Wave and there's MP3. Uh, Wave is uncompressed. MP3 is heavily compressed. 
a little bit of background. MP3 was, um, I think there's still, I think the patent expired, but uh, MP3 uh, is, uh, was designed by a, a German engineer uh, and uh, held by a German company. Mm-hmm. And uh, that patent uh, needed to be licensed for playback and decoding. So if you had software that either encoded uh, or decoded MP3, it needed to be get a license to the MP3 spec. It's not open the way a lot of other specs are. Um, but it's either nearly expired or expired now. Um, but the thing about that patent is that it was never that difficult to get a license for it. So that's why most things could play back MP3s. Mm. It's also why some things couldn't. You know, that was more of an issue in the 90s when <laughs> that was something where you had a lot more freeware trying to do that sort of thing. Or like MPEG as uh, a video format. Right. Because uh, that is held by a by a, a group that develops it, but also holds the patent and licenses those things. Um, it's also the case for uh, even things like HDR standards for video. So I'm not going to get into any of that. But basically, a lot of these formats, you know, somebody invents them, and so either they become open source uh, by design or because or patents expire over time. Um, you may have heard of the AUG audio format. Yeah, um, that's an open source uh, audio format, and it's meant to get around a lot of these things. Uh, it's very common. When you make mobile games, weirdly, yeah, uh, to use AUG, um, because especially and, and web games as well, because you know that everything can decode it because of a, uh, because of the licensing issue. Sure, okay. So there's the two things you got to deal with with these formatting stuff. One is the actual technology, and the other is the, the sort of legal stuff. Sure. And I find this interesting, but I'm like a super nerd, so uh, <laughs> not everybody is interested in knowing about this stuff. But when you do know about it, it lets you at least understand the context of why things are and aren't possible. That, yeah, that all makes a lot of sense because I was gonna. I, like I was like with the wave stuff, the MP3 stuff, that made sense. But I was like, where does Og fit into place? But all yeah. those licensings and things like that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, like Wave, I believe Microsoft actually created, but I don't mm-hmm. think they've ever. I think it's always been open. Okay. I don't think they've ever had a license for it. I think you should look up a lot of this stuff on your own because I'm going from memory from a lot of these things. So just years and years of osmosis of these <laughs> issues. Um, and in fact, that's the working knowledge all you, you need. You don't actually need to know the full details on these all the time. Um, but if you want to know specifics on these, I, I do advise you to look them up if you're actually curious. Um, or you're going to be making software that does uh, encoding or decoding of these formats. Yeah. Um, okay, that was enough of a 101 on that. Into the nitty gritty. Into the nitty gritty. So you'll see three sp- <laughs> Uh, numbers generally when you're encoding a piece of audio mm-hmm. um, or, or if you're reading the metadata on a piece of audio. You'll see the uh, bit depth, you'll see the bit rate, uh, and you'll see the sample rate. Okay. And so I'll describe what each of those are, what the point of them is. And I'll talk a little bit about the file you're listening to now, uh, this audio <laughs> file. I can explain to you the properties of that and so you can sort of maybe uh, get some context as to what these things mean. So the first thing I'll tell you about is the, is just the bit rate. So bit rate is the same as you'll see on in a, a video, which is how ma- how much data per second uh, on a on a piece of temporal media, right? Okay. And so you'll see um, uh, this file that you're listening to now is 96 kilobits per second. So that's how much data is being streamed. Uh, if you're listening to it, say on the in the web player, um, if you're listening to it on like a, a on your um, on your phone, you download the whole file already, probably. But that that um, that number is not used as a download number necessarily. It's not how fast it will download necessarily. Okay. It's how much data is being processed per second by, okay. by the decoder, by the oh, piece sure. of software that's decoding the, the, the codec, right? Okay. So um, 96 kilobits per second is on the really low end when you're uh, exporting uh, files. This is also in stereo. You're hearing us uh, in both channels equally. So it sounds a little bit like a mono like it's just coming out of one channel, but our theme song is in stereo. So uh, our whole, the whole podcast is in stereo as a result. Uh, and I can get into channel stuff in a little bit. Um, but that 96 kilobits per second, uh, it, uh, that amount of data, uh, we sound okay, right? 
So even though it's pretty low, it sounds okay. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you were to have a uh, recording of a, a really high-end orchestral recording, mm-hmm. or like a movie soundtrack or something like that, 96 kilobits, maybe not going to cut it. Yeah. Depending on what kind of headphones you have, but you may be able to tell that it's not quite getting a lot of data. You get compression artifacts, very similar to, to video. And most people, I think, are familiar with video compression artifacts. The bit rate is too low. Not enough data is moving into your television or computer monitor uh, fast enough. Then it needs the decoder needs to do more work to process the image. Mm-hmm. And it's not that the decoder is tripping over itself or anything. It's that there's just not enough data to complete a full picture. So when you see those compression artifacts, sometimes you rewind a little bit and watch it again, you'll see the exact same artifacts, right? It's a, it's a property of the file, not of the process to play it. Ah. Um, and so uh, compression artifacts in audio are much more rare. Mm-hmm. Um, they're usually not as big of a problem. Um, but if they are, they're so obvious that you want to get rid of them. Yeah. So whereas video compression artifacts... It's amazing what people let Netflix get away with. Because I think Netflix video is five megabits per second. Mm-hmm. I think is what most of their like HD video is. If you watch a Blu-ray disc uh, on your on like a Blu-ray player, that is, I believe, 35 or 40 megabits per second. Wow. Much, much higher. Yeah. And so um, Netflix also streams 4K. But right. like the actual quality of the video, like the, all the pixels are there. Uh-huh. But in terms of the 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 data that is used to draw them on your television, um, it's you know it's, it's a little substandard. So yeah. a lot of movie files will want you know they'll they still buy Blu-rays, for yeah. example. For for comparison's sake, uh, dude, Spotify has a uh, a high quality streaming. Yep. Do you know how fast the bitrate on that is? I think it's probably 320 kilobits oh. per second. Okay. Um, generally, that's what's seen as high end. So iTunes, for example, if you, um, I think all iTunes, like you buy on iTunes and most like just purchase the song for 99 cents. Yeah. I think they're all 320 now. Okay. But it used to be that that was the difference. It was like 192, I think was common for a long time in the last decade. Yeah. Um, and then 320 was seen as high. Um, but I think that's probably, that's probably what that is. I don't myself know. Sure, sure. But Um, that sounds like maybe where the value could be. Yeah. At 320 kilobits per second, um, you, your file's not going to be that big still. It's not going to be as big as a wave, uncompressed wave file. Mm -hmm. Um, but you're going to get most of the quality in there. And now there's going to be audio files. If we have any other audience being like, well, you know, but, (laughs) um, that's the face I make on a lot of other issues. But, um, (laughs) um, but that's, that's, it's high. That's, that's pretty good. Cool. We're, you know, less than a third of that right. for this podcast. Yeah. Um, but we don't have a lot of demands on the quality of this audio. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, and so uh, that's perfectly fine. Um, we also operate in a, a limited uh, frequencies. Like, you know, if there's certain things that we don't quite deliver at that, that quality, that's fine. Um, and for the most part, I think that the theme for a lot of these numbers is that you would be surprised how low quality you could accept if a file is processed well enough. Yeah. Uh, okay, so bit depth and sample rate. This is the resolution of the actual waveform itself. Okay. This is independent of the data rate. So data rate is about compressing the file, right? Um, sure. yeah. uh, bit depth and sample rate are more about the capture of the, of the, the file. So if you have like, uh, if you think about video, or let's say like a point and shoot camera, right? Or, or a camera on your cell phone. You're like, oh, it's a 12 megapixel lens or it's a five megapixel point and click or whatever, or it's a HD video camera. Mm-hmm. That tells you how much data is brought into the device. Um, in audio that you have um, a bit depth and sample rate. Sample rate is kind of like frame rate. If you think okay. about it in terms of video. Okay. So the sample rate of this file you're listening to is 44.1 it's many, many, many. Yes. Um, and that is how many samples it takes of the P 
piece of audio. So it says at this sample, which is like a frame of video, what is the the volume, the frequency, and then that's what a wave form is built out of is those samples. Right. So analog audio is an infinite sample rate, um, just like how analog film is infinite resolution technically. Right. There's no pixels on a on a strip of film, but the other qualities of a film lens or the quality of the film itself mean that the uh, uh, effective resolution is lower, right? So I'm getting into a side conversation, but it's going to make sense in a moment. A lot of people say things like, oh, film is so much, more, so much better than digital video even today. But the truth is, is that the functional resolution, like the practical amount of like actual data in a, on a piece of film yeah. is, a, is a little less than HD. Oh. Actually, um, it has different qualities. It looks a little different. Sure. But when you hear a lot of people, film purists talk about um, like, oh, it's so much this and that. It's like, eh, not really true. Um, anyway, so sample rate is a little similar in that um, the uh, if you have a sample rate that is half as much as a, a take a file and then re-encode it at half the sample rate. It, this is just remember, it's just a, a two dimensional waveform. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, so, um, you're going to, uh, think if you lose half the samples, how much data are you really losing? If you just interpolate between those two, not a lot, especially if they're waves, right? Yeah. Like at a certain point you can really drop it down a lot more. So generally when you're recording audio, so as we do here for the podcast, yeah, there's two very common sample rates, uh, 48,000 and then 44,100, right? Um, it was just 48 and 44.1. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the very common ones. Uh, CD audio is 44.1. And I think that number was actually chosen for the CD spec. I might be wrong on that. Um, because it was a, it, it allowed them to get exactly the right amount of time on a disc as they needed. Because each sample is a piece of data, yeah. right? And so the more the, the denser, the more, the more samples you take, the bigger the file. Mm-hmm. Um, now, of course, then you apply a bitrate compression to it, and then you can, you can feed it anything, and it will spit out at that rate, right? So that's, again, there's different things. Um, uh, bit depth is similar, um, but on the other dimension. Um, so I won't get too much deep into that. But basically, those two details are what uh, determine the resolution of your waveform. Now, a lot of audio files will want really high end 96 uh, kilohertz um, uh, uh, sample rates, uh, 32 bit floating point bit depth, yeah. really, really high values for these things when you're recording. Um, or when you take a recording and then you encode it at those high rates, the truth is, is every all the audio you listen to is analog. It's coming out of speakers going into your ears. Yeah. So there is no, unlike if, you know, this is true also of the things you see with your eyes, right? It's analog, but you can see the pixels on a television, right? Yeah. You can't actually pick out each sample. And so even if you are having at a high sample rate or even a much lower sample rate, that waveform is still being uh, given to you by the vibration of your speaker. Yeah. So if you actually are, it is already doing the interpolation. Yeah. So even a 96 uh, kilohertz or 98 kilohertz uh, uh, sample rate file is going to vibrate using essentially the same waveform, just with a little bit more detail in between each of those samples. Uh, like high fidelity audio is very much overhyped. Because are you saying that all of those expensive headphones I bought? No, actually, the, the <laughs> difference there is that like a high-end uh, speaker equipment, yeah. right, or headphones, yeah, um, is it has the the drivers that move the speakers, um, the frequency response of mm-hmm. the of the present the the digital to analog converter that's in the headphones. Yeah, those are that's all that is totally irrespective of this. Sure, right? It's yeah. about the audio you feed it. Ah, oh, right? okay. So they've done little like blind tests where they bring in an audio file and they have a nice speaker system and then they will play 
like a, a, a file and then the same file at a, di- at a lower or higher sample rate and we'll test to see. And generally, you cannot tell the difference, yeah. even if you have a really highly, a really well-tuned ear sure. because it works differently, right? But we very much are trained to like think better numbers are better or higher numbers are better. Yeah. And that's true in a lot of cases. Um, there's certainly sample rates, the more complex a piece of audio is. Um, and this is true, especially with things like when you're doing forensic analysis on audio, mm-hmm. um, uh, higher sample rates is more data. Sure. Right. Yeah. And so there's no reason to say no to that. Yeah. But in terms of like music, stuff you're doing for your game, you don't need to worry about setting those settings too high. Okay. Even 16 bit uh, bit depth is fine. Okay. Um, also, it's not really going to lower the size of your file that much, <laughs> ultimately. Um, and if you are compressing to MP3, um, then it's going to be it's going to be at the bit rate you decide. Uh, and then the encoder is going to take what you give it. And so if you give it something with a really high sample rate, and you have it a, a low bit rate, but the sample rate stays high, you're kind of wasting a lot of your data, mm. right? The, your data uh, budget, right? Yeah. So that's just some advice for when you set those values. Um, and uh, you can really Google a lot of this and get something similar. So now that I've given you some context, um, you can decide where you want to, how you want to pull those levers if you're making certain uh, choices with your audio. All right, so channels, pretty simple. Audio uh, um, works in uh, on different channels, which is just different tracks of audio. Mono is just one channel. Stereo is two. Right. Um, if you've heard 5.1, that doesn't make any sense. Like, what's a 0.1 channel? The 0.1 is the subwoofer. That's right. And the subwoofer is actually another channel. So it's six channels. Yeah. <laughs> it's just called that because it's different. Yeah. Um, the point is not a decimal place. It's not a dot in a versioning system. It's just a silly naming convention. Mm. So you'll often see 2.1. You'll see though, like a 2.1 desktop speaker set. That's just two speakers and a, and a subwoofer. Right. Uh, and a subwoofer, purpose of a subwoofer is to basically just uh, send out the uh, uh, signals at the low end uh, that the speakers are, are unable to handle. So there's two ways to do that. If you have a piece of stereo audio that's just two channels, left and right, uh, just two pieces of audio that go together, and you put that through a 2.1 audio system, well, the one isn't going to get anything, right? It's not, there's no track you feed it. So yeah. the process, what'll happen, either the speaker will do this or the sound card will do this, whatever you, somewhere along the way, it will isolate the frequencies from the two channels that the subwoofer wants to handle yeah. and just feed it the both channels of those frequencies. Now, if you're listening to a surround sound, like a movie, either in a theater or your home theater system, a lot of times that cha- that subwoofer channel will be its own piece of audio track, but oh. not always, Okay, right? It sort of depends. There's actually quite a bit of different ways to, to, to organize these. If you're building surround sound for your video game, for example, mm-hmm. um, a lot of times it's just about spatial audio. Sure, so you, yeah. you don't need to necessarily manually mix a lot of things. You'll have mono sources as sound clips in your w- world space. And then you'll have an audio listener that then processes those signals and sends a mix of all those things to the different channels. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of times your, your, your audio middleware will handle a lot of this. But sometimes, if, you know, if you're designing, especially when you're doing film um, or music that surrounds sound, uh, you have to be much more hands-on with how you, where you put channels and sure. stuff like that. So. Um, and so you know, there's a bunch of general conventions about this sort of thing. You want, like, if you're doing music, for example, generally you want the lead vocalist to be in the center channel. So if you're in a surround sound system, there is a center channel. Mm. But if it's stereo, you just put them equally in both. Yeah. And then that feels like it sounds like in the middle. Yeah. And so even with just two channels, you can get a much really interesting sort of space uh, for how you do it. Um, also, like, you have uh, drums generally get split, sort of spread across it. So it sort of feels like it's around you. Yeah. Now, uh, the reason I mention this is because the, con- the, the conventions on these have changed over the years. So if you listen to a bunch of old Beatles records, this is my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll hear the entire drum set in the left channel. 
Yeah, that's something that's something that happens in jazz tracks too. Uh-huh. Like you'll oftentimes hear just the saxophone on your right and then yeah, the drums on the left or something like that. Yeah, because a lot of times when when multi-channel uh, delivery was an option. Mm-hmm. Like think about it, if you're sitting in uh, orchestra hall or like a, you're watching a big, a big band yeah. jazz troupe they're all in front of you right so like the idea of stereo being something that was about like a sound field is actually unique to recorded music mm. in an interesting way yeah and and so it, it feels like oh of course you put the, the the snare drum on the left and the low tom on the right because that's how it is on the thing and it has this full sound it's like that wasn't an obvious thing yeah and so a lot of the early stereo uh, recordings uh, in the 50s and 60s um, just sort of like came up with their own standards for this. And what's interesting is it's kind of dogma now. So if you're like a rock band, there's like a way to mix, right? Yeah. And so um, I guess this is just me saying like, uh, think about that. And if you, you know, if you are doing, especially musical compositions for your video games, if you want to get a sense of unease or you want to guide a a listener or confuse them in a certain way, uh, you can take those conventions, those sort of like cultural like expectations and you can do some tweaks there, right? You can put your lead uh, melody instrument, you could double track it and put it on both channels so that yeah. they're slightly different, so they don't sound like they're in the middle. Yeah. That's, that's a way to make an open space. It's also a ma- way to make the melody not feel forward-facing. There's like a ton. It's an amazing art yeah. form just to do a, a, a stereo field. That's cool. And that's just with two channels. Uh, with surround sound, you, you get the, your, the, the tools you have at your disposal are even larger. Mm-hmm. Of course, a lot of times game audio is going to be processed by an audio listener in a scene or something like that. So yeah. that's that's a whole other issue there. Yeah. Um, is there ever is there such a thing as like 5.2 two subwoofers? I do know that like the thing about the reason a subwoofer is not split into different channels yeah. is because low frequencies the human ear has a hard time discerning their location. Sure. And so there's not much benefit to having a left subwoofer and a right subwoofer. Yeah. That said, I'm sure it's been tried. <laughs> I want to look into this. <laughs> Uh, what do we got next on this list? Um, okay, so now we can talk a little bit about uh, how to process audio. Yeah. So a lot of times you'll hear this, especially in um, like game jam games. Will do. You'll you'll get like just audio clips from freesound.org. Yep. Which is I super recommend it. Yep. Um, people just put up their audio. It's all Creative Commons, so make sure you credit those users if you use their audio. But it's all free, and a lot of it's pretty good. People just record it, or it's like the quality is absolutely varying. But it's a great resource for filmmakers for even musicians who are doing sound effects in their work and especially for game designers but a lot of those clips you can't just grab them and put them in your game you gotta do something to them you gotta make them fit in your world right and so there's two main things when you do when you process audio one is dynamics processing which is about the volume uh, about loudness okay and the other one is equalization which is about uh, 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 um, isolating frequencies sure so I'll do them one at a time dynamics processing um, is basically the idea of just saying the input of audio is is a, is a one dimension of of loudness. The output is another dimension of loudness. Mm-hmm. So you can think of a two D chart, and and you can think of a graph that's like a curve, which shows like oh, as a as a piece of audio gets louder and louder and louder on the input as you feed it in, yeah. it gets louder and louder on the output as well. Yeah. But the curve is um, if it's just one to one, it's just a, a, a diagonal line. Right. But as you adjust the curve, um, you can change how it works. So you can say at the upper end of volume. Once it gets past a certain volume, I don't want it to actually get louder. So I will then make all the volumes higher than that, just the same as this you know, middle level. That's called a compressor. It, it takes the, the loudest parts and brings them down to the middle. Now, I say loudest, but what I really mean is highest volume. Mm-hmm. Uh, loudness is a subjective feeling. So um, this is a very, uh, again, using popular music as an example, because it always has good ones for these, is a lot of older music... Uh, jazz music in particular yeah. has really wide dynamic range. 
If you listen on headphones, it feels like a huge space. Mm-hmm. You hear little little tickety tack of the of the of the brushes on yeah, a snare, yeah, and then you hear the big boom of the low toms. Yeah, it's great, right? And like, and you know, you have horns that like that like roll up, and they have these like high, really wide range of volumes. Yeah. Now listening to that in headphones sounds great, right? Mm-hmm. But let's say you're listening to it in your car with the windows down. Ah. You're not really going to hear most of it. No, you're just going to hear the biggest bangs, right? Yeah, and it's not going to sound good. Um, and so what you can do is if you take a piece of audio like that and heavily compress it so that the range of quietest to loudest is very narrow, you can play it anywhere and you can hear all of it. Mm-hmm. And you're still going to know which parts are louder than other parts because loudness is, is, a, is, a subject, is a largely subjective. Mm. Um, I mean, volume it plays a part in how loud it feels. Yeah. But you could very frequently, like, uh, again, blind listening, you can say which one is louder. And very most of the time, people get them wrong. Mm. It is it's really easy to fool people in that sense. Okay. Um, just like how when you go outside and your eyes adjust to the light, yeah, and you go inside and your eyes adjust to that light. Mm. Um, so uh, loudness works the same way in terms of how you can like. Uh, uh, so your your brain really just does a lot of that dynamic compression live in your own head, and so you can trick someone to thinking something feels really loud without the volume being very high. So compression is great for that. Now, of course, the downside, and a lot of people have have noted this, is that you get Less dynamic range means less data. It's less information about the track. Right. Um, it makes a, a thing feel smaller in a lot of ways. And so the best audio engineers for music really have to walk that line. And you can actually see, partly because the technology is a lot better, so it's easier to do, but also because tastes have moved towards making sure all pop songs sound great on all speakers <laughs> in all yeah. situations. Yeah. That... Uh, you can see some comparisons from old pop music and new pop music and just how different they are, how the waveforms look really different. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, um, that has also changed people's musical tastes, right? Sure, yeah. Um, because those, those, highly, those heavily compressed pop songs tend to then be what is promoted more and what sells more was more popular. And so it becomes what you listen for as the sign of a highly produced, good quality piece of music. Yeah. And so it becomes very interesting to go against that grain. And this is true of a lot of areas of art, of course. Um, anyways, for you and your game, um, uh, uh, dynamic processing is really important because you want to make sure that if you have a sound effect that's in the world, yeah. you a lot of times you're going to uh, the volume is going to be adjusted based on your audio listener. If it's a 3D game, even a 2D game, like Widget Satchel works this way. Right, yeah. Whereas you get closer to enemies, their little looping sound gets closer to you as well uh, in the stereo field. Um, so... Uh, if you're if you're working with a system like that, you want to make sure that it feels right. And so a lot of times you'll have audio clips that you'll throw in there that will feel too loud, but you look at them on a waveform, you're like, they're exactly as loud as the other thing. And so you have to make those kinds of adjustments. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to be able to do a little masterclass here, but um, it's something you should be definitely investigating. It's why a lot of things don't feel the loudness that they should, um, because they were the the uh, rooms they were recorded in, sometimes it's artificially generated audio. And so you can use a simple dynamics processor uh, to make those adjustments if you need to. It's also a really good way. We use it on the show here. So yeah. when you listen to us, like I'm whispering right now, it makes me feel relatively quiet, or I'm talking very loud now, <laughs> um, you on, we're looking at the waveform as I record this, and they're quite a bit different. Mm-hmm. But you, if you were to take the file you get when you, you know, uh, on your phone, put it into something to view it, they'd be much, much closer because we do uh, dynamics processing here because um, we want to make sure you can listen to this in your car with the windows down. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. Also, isn't it to kind of balance out the three of us because we each have different volumes of talking? That is definitely true. And we we do that for that reason. But if we had a separate producer here with us, like a fourth person who handled the board, <laughs> that would be their job. Ah. So we offload that a little bit to the post-processing. 
Um, but yeah, absolutely. That's, that's why you do that. And that's definitely true of um, balancing things in your game as well. Yes. You have things that are actually louder, but you want the player to hear them at the same volume as something that is quieter, but you want to give them the impression that one is louder than the other. <laughs> and so a lot of times you'll see people who are just throwing their sounds into the game like, well, this is a really quiet thing, so I'm going to make it really quiet. Like that's actually not a good user experience, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times you'll think about all the uh, RPGs you play that have little like audio clips that like that like are like clues. They cue you into a thing. If you were to hear those sounds at that volume in the real world, it would be like it would seem ridiculously loud yeah. in, in terms of what it's doing. But it's meant as a piece of user interface, right? And so that's another thing you have to think about when you think about these things: is like how does it fit in the world? Not even if you're making a fully realistic world, you have to decide like. How, you know, what's the abstraction layer you do for your players? Yeah. And so, yeah, the, yeah audio That's plays very a big good. part um, I, I think that, like, I don't know if you've ever, you should try playing your games or just games in general without music and just, like, see, hear all of the sounds that they have. Yeah. Like, there's a whole lot of different sounds that people put in the stuff to make things feel more or less important. Mm-hmm. That, like, that user interface kind of stuff that, that, that Mark is talking about. I think that's really important for people. Um, I've been playing Skyrim for a long time now, and I actually play the game without any music. I just play it with just sounds. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Okay. Um, and so you can hear all of that stuff. So I like, you know, I've modded the game to the point where like the sounds are important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Much better now. This is testing we have yet to do in Widget Satchel, which yeah. is to test music only, sound effects only. Mm. We've had various states of the build, which only had one or the other. Yeah. And we have a sort of a rough idea, but we haven't done enough testing with that yet. Right. And it'll be interesting to see. I'm really curious to see if a sound effects only actually sounds interesting or annoying Mm. you know (laughs) but one of the things we did in testing was we were testing a level all of our enemies in the game they have like a little like sort of a loop little chattering kind of right and as you get closer to them the audio gets a little louder and because our main character is the audio listener in the game yeah so that's really nice because you know when the enemy's coming up you know as you're leaving it's it's a cute sort of like nice little sound Mm -hmm. um but there was a bug we had where all that wasn't working, but oh. we didn't really care because we, we were mostly when we were developing the game and that was over the summer, we had the audio turned off when we were testing. So right. we yeah. weren't working on it. So yeah. it wasn't, we knew it was there. We just wasn't a big deal. Mm-hmm. But we did a play test and I remember somebody being really surprised by all the robots coming out of, out of, the, out of the side of the yeah. wall. And if I was like, oh man, we might need to redesign that thing to make it, a li- maybe make, move the camera out a little bit or have the make it a, maybe put a place where the player has to jump over something so they don't just run into the bots on the way mm-hmm. and then it hit us oh right in the game you get a, you get different cues that a robot is getting close to you yeah and we hadn't really considered that at least for that part of it and so a lot of times you design your game uh, visually first and then with the audio second right but and that's you know there's a practicality to that it's hard to do this all at once yeah but make sure you bounce back and forth in your design process mm-hmm. so you don't leave out opportunities to you know you don't over design an element that audio can play a role in yeah uh humans are also um well they're more, they're more able to react to um audio than they are to visuals mm-hmm. visual cues um so uh like the audio is more important for people especially if, like if you have a very high reaction sort of thing going on in your yeah. game. It's it's very important to like for that to be good, important. Right. So like a precision platformer, you you might not think of this, but you would probably want a sound effect for both the jump and the land. Yeah. And even though that's ridiculous, um yeah. no one makes a sound when they jump. Uh-huh. That is about the, the the UX of it and about especially when you're thinking, oh I, I like did the button not work? I feel like I jumped earlier than that. The audio gives you an even better clue as to the moment in time that you registered an input. Right. And it helps the player feel more immersed in the world, more connected physically to the game. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, because audio, people react a little little stronger to that than, yeah. than visual cues. Totally. Which they, you do so much 
interpolation and you're when you look at stuff much yeah. much more than you do for audio <laughs> mm-hmm. um just to keep you going like you know just think about all the times you blink and i hate doing this because every time i someone talks about blinking you then suddenly you're distracted by that so i head. apologize to listeners <laughs> but think about how many how, like how much you actually don't how much you don't see your brain just fills in those moments yeah and how much of that is there's a there's a spot in the dead center of your eye where no light gets to because it's where it's where your uh, the nerve cluster is, mm-hmm. and so you actually have a literally a blind spot, the dead center of both of your eyes. I challenge you to find it. Like, <laughs> your brain just fills it in, mm-hmm. even though there's literally nothing there. Yeah, brains are. It's powerful. kind of amazing. So audio really helps you get a fuller picture. It's not extra. It's not uh, something separate. It yeah. should really be something you put in together with it. Totally. So uh, we, we went really off the rails there, but the other thing I want to talk about actually processing is equalization. Mm-hmm. So this is really just about different frequencies um, uh, of, of audio. So um, I think a lot of people know the basics of this, low frequencies, low rumble, high frequencies, higher chirps, you know, that kind of thing. And we talked a little bit about how speakers can handle that sort of differently. But um, you should know that like a uh, quick little bit of trivia, the human, human speech lives between 85 and 255 hertz. And that, that is the, that's the, the, um, the uh, peaks and valleys of the waves yeah. uh, that they operate at. But that's the range where if you, when we do here on the show, we do a little bit of equalization where those really low frequencies where none of us speak at um, and the really, really high frequencies that none of us can even hear, we roll those off. But um, with EQ, it's basically about changing the volumes of different batches of, of, of frequencies. Okay. So um, you can have, you can also compress audio at different frequencies. So if you are compressing the whole bit of audio, the dynamics process or that simple two-dimensional graph, you can do that for a certain range of frequencies different from a certain other range of frequencies. And this is where you get into really, really intense uh, audio mastering. Um, and so it's generally out of the scope of most people. Um, it's also sometimes not really, you don't really have to do it in a lot of places. But if you care about this stuff and you really want a certain thing to work a certain way and it's not in your game, you have to think about like, well, is it not just the dynamics processing, but is it also the frequency at which this audio operates at? So if you have a piece of music in your game, let's say you're, you're making some uncharted clone or something and you have like a, a, a fight on a train. Well, in the, uh, the ambient sound effects, you have lots of rumbling of the tracks and the wheels and the, the rails. Right. And in the music, is probably going to have lots of high strings or something, right? And maybe you have enemies who are chattering in the background so you can see them coming. That's going to be at the human frequencies. And so where's, what's left for other sound effects, right? Mm-hmm. You have to find a space in that field to put things so that they sound right. If you have something like, oh, let's say um, there's a certain section. I'm just making this up on the fly. And like a barrel, like an explosive barrel rolls towards you. And you need to know that's coming so you can get out of the way before it blows up. Yeah. Well, that's going to make a really low rumbling sound. But you're already on this train. And it's making a bunch of low rumbling sounds. So do you need to maybe artificially change the way that sounds? Maybe you change the design. Maybe you have it have things uh, like bells dangling on the corner of it. So it makes a higher pitch noise that comes yeah. to you. Like all of that design becomes part of like building a world so that the the player can interact with it in a way that lets the user experience kind of works in the way you want it to, yeah, right? Yeah. If you want it to be something that they don't notice, then maybe that's the story reason why they don't notice it is because it doesn't sound different. Like it's too loud. They can't hear it, mm-hmm. right? And you can use all of that. Into, to, but it really depends on what your intention is for those moments. And if it's not working for what you've done, you need to change either the, the world around it where it's happening or the thing that's happening in it. Um, you kind of can't just be like, ah, well, it doesn't really work exactly, but fine. I, I wanted it to do this and I want the world to be that. So, yeah. okay. Yeah. Like that is, that's not good enough. You gotta, I think you have to make those things work together. Yeah. Um, and that's a lot of, that's about frequency, about like where it lives in the spectrum of, of your, of your hearing range. And um, so, yeah, I had the range for what humans sound, uh, where, they, where they speak. Um, but also you, you can find out what the actual um, 
uh, range of people's hearing generally is. Yeah. It's much narrower, just like the visual spectrum. It's much narrow, narrower than you are capable of producing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can have ultra low frequencies um, and you can have them wiggle at the end of the, of the range if you want to. Horror games are great at this. They have, really, they have ambient tracks that are really, really low. And so you almost don't know you're hearing anything. Yeah. You know? Um, you can also have uh, higher pitch things to like annoy all the dogs of your users. <laughs> That's totally up to you. Um, but all of this is just a, it's just a wonderland of, of design choices you can make. Um, yeah. And that's, that's of, of course, designing sounds for that, but also taking existing sounds and modifying the equalization properties to nudge them where you need them to be. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that's, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, these are all design decisions as well as technical decisions. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Just sort of like do's and don'ts. Um, you should definitely be play testing with and without audio. Yeah. People are going to play your game without audio. Yes. So think about that as well. Yeah. Um, ideally, I think it's I think it's okay to say that the, you don't need to make them equal experiences necessarily. There's an accessibility issue, of course. Right. If you you know if you have uh, deaf players, you want to make sure that there's anything that's mission critical that you either you have to con- seriously consider like how important that is. Which right. isn't to say you should not do any kind of game design that is audio dependent. But you need to know that's what you're doing. Right. So that if you are offering that lesser experience to people who have that disability, you need to be comfortable with that. Like you, yeah. need to, you need to sort of like own it and decide. And, and, and you need to be able to, if possible, offer alternatives that give enough of a similar experience. Sometimes that's just with subtitles for, for, vo- for voice, mm-hmm. but that's not the end of the game, right? There's more to it than that. Yeah. If you have a lot of audio cues and designs in your game, you should think about how that affects people who are hard of hearing, uh, are, are non-hearing. Um, or just prefer to have the audio off, right? right? Mm-hmm. So these are all decisions you have to sort of weigh in balance as, as you work. Um, yeah, so I mean, there's like tons of examples we can go on forever, but yeah. I think that kind of covers yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, that was a, uh, a good uh, jump into it. I mm-hmm. think that like, I think that the audio doesn't get a lot of credit. Like a lot of this kind of stuff doesn't get enough credit in, yeah. in games. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's important. Yeah. People need to know about it. And like, especially if you're indie, uh, if you're any game developer, this is you're probably one of the only people working on your game. So you are probably going to be the one doing this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's helpful to have that. That's a, that's a good point because there's an issue of scope, right? Yeah. Like the, if you if you hear some of this and it, if it inspires you to like try a million things, keep in scope. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. Yes. Right. That's that's true of all these things. Is like it's it is important to know all this stuff, but you don't always have to use every piece of it. Right. Um. You know, save some of it for the next game. Martha, don't you have a transition for us? Just trying to think of a good one. And now it's time for representation <laughs> Martha, <laughs> don't steal a spotlight from Martha. <laughs> we both need to be represented. Hey! <laughs> That's great. Um, yes, so my topic is representation in games. Uh, because I think it's important. Mm-hmm. Most a lot of people think it's important. Yeah, it's important stuff. Um, Prove it. <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> um, so, what is representation? It's basically just including people of um, all different genders, ethnicities, ages, body types, sexual orientations, etc., in um, both the development process process of your game and the games themselves. Um, and there's a lot of benefits to this, not just because like people can see themselves in the game and and that feels good, um, but also like. Um, especially if you like include people who are uh, everybody is unique and different. And like, as we said before, in uh, when you're making a game, a game you make is going to be vastly different from another person's game. Um, and so as a result, um, the more people you include in your development process, the more unique your game will end up being. Um, so like 
that's very valuable on its own. Um, as a development head, like the more pools of people you look at, the more potential hires you get and the more likely you'll get somebody who's perfect for the role that you're looking for. So that's valuable. Um, and more people will look at your game because like it looks different from all the other games out there, which is great. Um, it just makes games good. <laughs> <laughs> Did I prove it? That's you could have just ended with that. Started with that piece. Like, yeah, makes games good. Makes games good. Y'all. <laughs> I think it is sometimes important to ask because I think people are generally in agreement that it's good. Yeah. They don't always know why. And sometimes they're like fine not knowing why. They just feel like it's something you should do. Yeah. Um, but it's important to explain that it it is really does make games good. Right. And 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 frankly, representation um is important in different ways for different people too. Um, um because like maybe you might just you might be just looking for like a unique kind of game, something that like you haven't seen before. And like um if you go to a team, if you go to the same Ubisoft team, you're gonna keep getting far cry or whatever it is uh <laughs> but like if you go somewhere else somewhere that like a lot of people or there aren't as many games being made in that area then you'll get a more unique game like not just narratively but also like gameplay wise mechanically they'll be different yeah um because they have different influences and so like it'll it'll bring you a unique experience that you may not have had before that is that that is very valuable yeah i think people understand the idea of like variety yeah in games and this is just a dimension of that. Yeah. Um, that is, you can't just decide on your own to, to have that dimension. You yeah. actually have to work to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And like, like, um, and like I said, everybody is different. So like the game I make is just, it's going to be different. It's going to be completely different because I just have a different background set. So like every, everybody has something to bring to the table. Mm -hmm. That's my main point. Um, so yeah, I wanted to talk about like, what are good ways of being inclusive? What 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 ways you can uh, try to invite more people into the space, into the space of both making games and into the space of your game specifically? Mm -hmm. um, the I think the best thing to do is just to include more people from the beginning, uh, or uh, include more of that representation in your development process. Um, whether now, do you mean just generally, or you mean like that aligns with what your game is also representing? Um. Well, in generally too, because like it'll bring more fresh ideas into the space. But also, like just it, it, like specifically, if you're trying to talk about um, a, uh, a a a group of people's um, experiences, um, it's helpful to have them be a part of the process right away in the beginning. Sure, you know, um, you get all the historical context and stuff right away, or potentially some a lot of the historical context. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, that's great and all, but like maybe you don't have access to that, like because you know you have to pay them and stuff. Um, and you know, paying people costs uh, money. Paying them, that's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's well, the, what if you are working yeah. alone? Well, that's yeah. Sometimes it's not a feasible option. Yeah, or you want to work on a game alone or something like that. There are other options too. There are diversity consultants you can uh, uh, ask for help with. Mm -hmm. um, you can do a lot of research. You can go and ask people, uh, like ask people you know, like, can you help me with this thing? And they'll be like, yeah, sure. Um, you know, just make sure to give them money though for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Paying people. <laughs> yep. Um, right at a certain point, like this is you can ask for favors. Yeah. But this is a pretty big favor when you're asking someone to represent something yes. for you. It, yeah. It's, it can be awkward. And also, that person has different experiences from other people in their group. Yes. I'm not a representative of all black people, for example. <laughs> <laughs> um and so we are not a monolith right <laughs> oh man there's that keen field sketch with the black republicans that you're referencing oh, i love that sketch 
<laughs> the best. Um, um, yeah, and so they have their own like um, they have their own experiences, and so like they're that person is not a representative of their entire culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important to keep take note of that, and you know, ask a different opinions of other people too. Um, there was a uh, in my high school theater class. Um, there was one African American girl, and it was so frustrating because the teacher constantly he would ask her like, "So, from the African American perspective, what do you think?" And she was uh, like, "Screw you." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that yeah, that kind of stuff. That don't do that. <laughs> um, I think it's also important to you know uh, talk about stories that are outside of your comfort zone, um, like. For example, maybe I could make a game about Arizona climate instead of Minnesota climate. <laughs> Are you crazy? <laughs> we don't know anything about the sun. <laughs> what is it burns? <laughs> um, I, but like you know, if you jump out of your comfort zone, like you mm-hmm. can, uh, I mean, learn about a new thing, which is cool, always mm-hmm. great. Um, but also, just you know, like that's why that's part of how we're making games. It's like you had to get out of our comfort zone to start coding the thing or start figuring out how audio works or start drawing um so like you could do that with your narratives or or you know or or the what you're trying to do with your game you know Um, steven you're hitting on kind of a a difficult question which is uh, there's two schools of thought kind of about this which is the the write what you know yeah and stay in your lane kind of idea yeah right like the the, don't because the risk of appropriation is fairly large yeah um but also what you were saying is really convincing which is to say like yeah, go ahead and write something you don't know, but go ahead and try to know it. Yes, along oh, the yeah. way. Well, yeah, I want to. I wanted to bring that up because, like, I think that uh, particularly now, where we got Twitter and people will call you out if you do anything bad, um, can be scary. Yeah. Um, and I mean, rightfully so, because you don't want to be called out on Twitter. They know where you tweet. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I think it's also important, and we should like we should encourage this for people to try to talk about. They should they should be encouraged to um, they should be encouraged to tell stories that like they may not have experienced mm-hmm. because um, I think that I think that it's important that like some people just like are not some people are just not able to make games. Um, some people like they just don't have access to it or like they or it's difficult for them or they just don't have the time or a whole bunch of other things, but they can still assist with the development process. Mm-hmm. And um, as a result, like you can uh, you can share a story um that that is that is unique that is different that is um important um that would not be told otherwise if you just like go out there and try um like never alone for example um and we bring that game up i think we brought it up a bunch um but that game was made um with uh with the uh the, the tribe that they're talking about in mind and like they literally like they had them involved in the development process of the game mm-hmm. um in uh and that like made that game all the much better because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so like that kind of stuff is important. What do you say to someone who says like, don't tell you a story that's not yours? Um, I, I totally see that point. Mm-hmm. And in, and in fact, like a lot of times I'm like, you probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> it's like, it's a weird, it's a weird conflict. Cause I, I want more stories told, but yeah. I also, uh, I want more people to tell those stories. So um, it feels like the solution to that as a as a cultural problem is yeah. to get more diverse people making games. That's that's exactly what I that is my ideal. But that doesn't help you if you're making a game right now yeah. or even in the future where we, there are more people making games. Yeah. Um, you know, 
uh, yeah, but but a lot of times you hear that, like yeah. don't tell a story that's not yours. Yeah, I, I, What's it's a risk, right? Yeah, and I I think it's important to involve people uh, who are a part of that story, but like it's it's sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes like you just can't do it. But then you need to make sure that you do the research to you know to to to, uh, to do that story correctly. Yeah, um, and I think that like that's important uh, for people. And it like this this is. In indie games, like you know, we only have so many resources. We only have so many budget. You can't you can't fly all over the world to talk to all these people to get this to, to work. But um, this is much worse than like AAA games where they have those resources and they have like the time and stuff to do that kind of stuff, and they will get it wrong. But it's also not. I mean, it's also okay sometimes to get things wrong. Yeah, <laughs> it's some. Sometimes you're going to get things wrong. I'm going to get things wrong. You're going to get things mm-hmm. wrong. This is we're humans. We're not perfect. Yeah, and um, if you if you face consequences, then that's the way it is. But mm-hmm. it shouldn't scare you completely. Yeah, you right? learn from it. Yeah, yeah. You the, the important thing is you learn from it. If you make a mistake, own up to it. Mm-hmm. Um, acknowledge that you made a mistake, and you're going to do better in the future. Yeah. Um, that's the important thing. Mm-hmm. That's what you. Yeah, that's what you should. Yeah. Hold on to <laughs> Martha. Is this whole track for you? Do you have any unique perspective on it? Uh, yeah. Uh, I think that makes sense. I was just thinking of the of this. Like sometimes when you end up doing the research, you realize that you shouldn't be the one telling the story. Yeah. Like like uh, the Donut County guy. I think I've told that story on the podcast before. But he his original game was going to be about uh, the Hopi tribe mm-hmm. and. He like was doing all the right things, like going and talking to the actual like tribal members yeah. and like doing all this research. And they're like, "Why are you making this game about us?" And he was like, "Well, because I thought it would be cool." And like, they're like, "Okay, I don't know <laughs> if this like was really." Yeah. And he was like, "Yeah, that's kind of a good point. I don't really know why I'm making it about like I just chose it yeah. as a thing, right? Yeah." And the- so then he made it about his experience. So. Like yeah, his hometown. The impression I got is that the Hopi tribe did not want that story told that he was trying to tell. Yes. Which yeah. Is, yeah. Which and he respected that and he was like, no, oh, no, I'm just going to change this game to something that makes more sense for me. Yeah. Um. So, so then the question is, is like, if I'm making something and I want to either honor something that's a very interesting topic of mine, yeah, uh, that I really like, or or something I really want to, uh, a story told that no one's told or whatever, but isn't mine exactly. Yeah. How do I know that I'm the one to tell it? Well, the answer is is do the research and ask the people right right like you you will find out if you can tell it i guess uh, you can't just do it theoretically yeah right yeah 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 exactly yeah you can't just yeah if you just do it and don't figure out why you're doing it it'll end up being a bad representation of things yeah um so yeah if you do your research and you you know uh cross your t's dot your eyes or whatever yeah that phrases uh <laughs> you'll uh yeah you'll you'll have a much better understanding of how to approach it and 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 such well here's a question yes is is bad or or let's say imperfect representation better than no representation oh boy <laughs> I don't have a cool answer for you on that because that's hard i feel like the a really good example of that yeah. is like the the strong female protagonist oh, trope, yeah, uh-huh. uh, which is a, 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 a sort of a bad and ma- and male gazy view of what women are, but mm-hmm. it's is it is that better than no uh, female characters representation? I mean, I don't know. I mean, if it's yes, it's better because in one way, because at least you're getting to play a female character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that should not be uh, in, misinterpreted as an endorsement. 
No. Right. <laughs> like if you, I don't know. Well, I'll, it's hard to know. It sure. really depends, I mm-hmm. guess, which is not a great podcast answer, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, part of this is like, we, there's not full answers to this. Uh, we're just three people here working games in Minnesota. We can't answer all the questions. <laughs> yeah. um, but like, we're, you know, we're trying. Um, <laughs> um, so just short answer, do not listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen to us. We need those stats, people. But right. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I feel like if 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 it's a if it's a poor representation to the point where like you may not have, I'm concerned about a character where like their 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 background like uh, is like washed away and is not important to like the actual impact that the character makes in, the, in their in their narrative. Yeah. Um. Um. In which case, then it doesn't feel like you really it's not really a representation. It's just a character you made. Um, and I think that like, that is a factor in that. So like, like with the strong female protagonist thing, um, if like, it doesn't matter whether or not they're male or female or what, um, then is that even really representation at that point? Is my question. Right. Right. That's interesting. Well, I mean, in one way, I guess I feel like that might be even from my perspective, like, better because then it's not like we made this girl or we made this character a girl because she had to be a girl because mm-hmm. there because there's then then a girl can't be in a or a woman can't be in a game unless it's about her being a woman sure right it, it promotes the idea of the default yeah which yeah. is that might be the most insidious idea mm. so in that way but on the other hand like yeah that if it doesn't if it doesn't if that doesn't i guess it uh, Nope, not going to say defense again. Um, <laughs> but like, if you're making a platformer game where the character doesn't really matter, then I'm like, yeah, you should be able to pick whether you're, you know, what gender you are and what race you are and mm-hmm. stuff. But if it's, uh, you know, a narrative story and like you would want to have like a, a realistic background and things that they have had to deal with, I guess. Yeah. Right, Maybe. you don't want to do the, the thing that you when you're hiring staff or you're you're working with people. Yeah, um, it's the same issue. It's to say like you can't ask someone of a diverse group to represent that diverse group. Yes, right, and so that's sort of true with characters too. I think if you write a, a character who, for plot or or specific character reasons or background reasons, it needs to intersect with that culture or that, or that representation. That's fine. Yeah, but you shouldn't feel like that's the only reason to make a character yeah. like that. Right. Um, one of the things in well, in Widget Satchel, our our human crew is mostly women mm-hmm. because I was drawing a bunch of character ideas, and I, after after four, I'm like, that's fine. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like that was that's enough. And it's like, oh well, there's only one dude, and he's he's like a sort of a, a dorky looking bald guy. Right. <laughs> I, I don't think there was a statement behind that, yeah. um, other than like I didn't want to draw any more humans. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, like. I could totally see someone saying like, oh, they just did that to like, you know, for quota reasons or something. Pandering. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, it's, almost, it's almost like no way to win exactly. But Some, as long as you're true to your own intentions, yeah. maybe. Sometimes it does feel like pandering even when it's not. Like, right. That, I mean, not, not to say that like we did that in Widget Satchel or anything like that, but you know, sometimes it feels like that. Yeah. I mean, it's Black History Month right now and yeah. you're getting a whole bunch of commercials <laughs> about... Oh um, my it's god! Black History Month, y'all. So buy our thing. Yeah. <laughs> Black people using logic detergent and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh man, those McDonald's commercials when they have like they have you can oh you can tell there's the 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 music and like the announcing the people who are talking and yeah. like that's a whole oh man that's that's a separate, a separate well here's a question like yeah. I mean is 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 that pandering worse than no representation? 
again, not seeking to endorse that. Oh, no, yeah. But totally. like, you know, I mean, even people's clumsy efforts are though. Is that, well, is that good the, or should that be the, discouraged? The problem is, is they're only doing it for the month that it's Black History Month and they want to get the numbers. Oh, yeah. It is absolutely As, pandering. Yeah. yeah. And, oh, and yeah. they would never have hired those people in general mm-hmm, because yeah. they would have overlooked them for yeah. the regular commercials. And also, to be fair to McDonald's, they play those kinds of commercials throughout the year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it still feels like pandering, but at yeah. least it's not just on February. Right. Um, <laughs> so there's that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I I think like yeah I get like the purpose and why you're making the, the product uh, matters. I think that like well like there was that there was that um that toxic masculinity campaign thing that was I don't remember was it a Dove thing it was some soap uh, or something yeah I don't remember some like a lotion or oh it was a razor company yeah but this is how were, effective this ad was <laughs> I I'm sure it was great yeah uh, but like uh, that came out and they were like specifically saying like. Uh, you know, they were speaking out against toxic ma- toxic masculinity, but they were also, you know, advertising their product in the process of yeah. it. And it's like that is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? I kind of felt like it was a good thing because like at the end of the day, the message is still getting out there. Yeah. And like the way that the advertisement worked, it wasn't like it wasn't like all these people like promoting their product and also, you know, toxic masculinity is bad. It was like mainly focused on that issue. Yeah. So like I felt like it 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 was cool the way that they did it yeah i think people get really cynical about advertisers when they lean into social issues yeah and i think it's important to realize that an ad's main job is to get you to buy their thing yeah so like it it, when someone says like oh they were just doing that so you'd buy your thing it's like well yeah that's what ads for it's like it's like as long as the message is not um either cynical or um promoting a stereotype yeah or or does more harm than good yeah like i do not mind an ad agency being like let's hitch onto this social thing so we can catch that wave it's like great because then also force multiplier more people see it yeah yeah and like the Big companies have more money than us, so they can get more people to see it. Yeah. <laughs> and if they're motivated by, you know, dollar dollar bills, like whatever. Uh, Our whole culture is motivated by dollar dollar bills. Right. That's so. how things work. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. It's all I mean, good. To to that point, yeah. I think that like my view on the, the, that sort of pandering or yeah. tokenism yeah. is I I think it there's very frequent potential for that to do more harm than good. Because I think a lot of people think it lets them off the hook. Yeah. And it stops the conversation. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest danger. Even if it may say increase the net amount of quote unquote representation in a certain field, a certain area, I think there are knock on effects that um can blunt its progress going forward. I think this is impossible to measure and certainly very unfair to level it, you know, example by example. Yeah. But um I worry about that a lot that people are like, Oh, well, I checked my box. Like I'm mm-hmm. good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's uh, not really about that. Yeah. It's like uh, when I was applying for the Senate job, uh, I also had applied to a bunch of places, including a very large company, uh, local in town here. And I'll just call them out. It was Best Buy. I was applying to Best Buy. <laughs> and this recruiter was like, you know, like really, really nice to me. And then I was like, oh, um, hey, I got another job. Thanks for your interest. Um, keep, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he got like super mean and like oh. sent me a whole bunch of emails about like how awful I was because wow. I like was hurting his diversity quota numbers. Oh, wow. Oh. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> right. Oh, boy, that's. You're that's... not getting the point of those. <laughs> yeah. For real. Yeah. Um, right. So, yeah, you're motivated. I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> like maybe that guy won't learn his lesson, but like making him do it. 
Like even if he doesn't have the right motivation, uh, although someone should teach him. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> that's that's the problem. It's like it, it's so this the issue is so multidimensional. It's mm-hmm. like you feel like any progress is good progress, but like no progress is progress enough. Oh sure. And so it's really hard to say tell anybody good job. Yeah. Because almost nothing they do is good enough. Nothing any of us do is good enough. Well, yeah. The, the the bare minimums that people do that feel big shouldn't be, maybe shouldn't be as rewarded but then you got to reward them or else people aren't going to make any more progress yeah yep. <laughs> yeah this, this is a complicated topic uh <laughs> yeah um you're absolutely right about that like there's it, there's a lot of things the really the thing is is also you can't you can't be all things for all people you can't like make this thing the end all be all zeitgeist amazing Thing that contains right. literally all representation of all people <laughs> in all the world because that is not possible. There are seven billion of us, um, and we're all different. Um, so you just you cannot do that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this is a topic that like I uh, discuss with my brother. Discuss argue with my brother <laughs> <laughs> about a lot. Yeah, um, uh, argue in McGregor means just discuss, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but like um, I um, tend to be. Uh, compared compared to my brother, I tend to be a stronger what's it, proponent of of representation and things. Mm-hmm. Where my brother, like, he just wants to make games, like hyperdot game. He's he's always yeah. saying, "I just want to make a game about a dot." He doesn't want the weight of it on. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't want the weight of it on. Yeah, it. and like it, it, and I totally understand that perspective too, because like he shouldn't have the weight of all of that on him. But also at the same time, I'm a little bit like, but Charles, you could do more with it, and you know, you could help us. But he shouldn't have to. He shouldn't be. Uh, forced to do it that shouldn't be yeah. on him it shouldn't be his responsibility um yeah so it's a it's a complicated thing because like you uh, not all the stories i make are going to be about black people i'm making the ones about fish and ferrets <laughs> right now <laughs> and that's fine <laughs> um yeah so it's yeah it's, it's just a, it's a it's a it's a complicated topic it's not really something we can answer but it's just something i wanted to bring to the table something i wanted to discuss um well, i do like i do like when we touch on these topics in the show generally it was yeah. nice to devote a whole topic to it yeah and i hopefully listeners appreciate it as well and i hope that we keep coming back to it yeah yeah definitely um i do want to bring up before we end uh a couple of things that you can avoid um are things that like are pretty easy to avoid right away mm-hmm. um so like stereotypes for example um like not all black people are boxers in fighting games that's how it always seems to be is like black people are boxers i don't know why it's stereotype but like those kinds of things try to stay away from those kinds of things um yeah um and then painting over characters you know just like uh changing the characters uh gender ethnicity just because you want for representation like we brought up before um just think about why you're doing that before you do it um and also generalizing a group of people like we said not one person one person does not represent an, an entire race or an entire uh gender um or or such so you know just make sure not to do those kinds of things just uh just be careful about your creative process think about what you're doing like um all of the decisions you make in your game are important so keep that in mind and keep like think about the different contexts that those individual pieces are going into because like one part could be not racist or not sexist but then when you put it in context with the other thing oh (laughs) It's Oops. bad. <laughs> yeah. Oops, I'm a racist. Yep. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs>
And I think if you if you find yourself um, not knowing where it is, mm-hmm. I think looking for help yeah. and for advice and feedback is helpful. Yeah. If you know you're the artist, so it's it's on you, which means you get to decide. So you can't take your diversity consultant's advice and do it and then say, well, they just said it was fine. Yeah. Like that doesn't absolve you. Right. You need, you need to do the work and that, that your diversity consultant is not responsible for making your game diverse. Yeah. You are. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, also when you think about these issues, like do you want to make part of your game comment on them? And I think that's an even greater um, uh, task ahead of you if you want. Yeah. But it's not something you should shy away from if it's something that you're leaning towards. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Be daring, but careful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's good that's a good note I'd make that well Stephen thank you for for outlining this one for us yeah this no problem good. that's our show if you haven't already subscribe to Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app and be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or are nice like us we really need to know you're out there so leave a good review and tell your friends too we also want to hear directly from you so follow us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club and email us at contact at nicegames.club Lastly, you can find more about the show, your nice hosts, as well as get all the links and show notes from this and other episodes at nicegames.club. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.